Thank you, Mario. Jeremiah chapter 33. Let's look at the first five verses and then we'll pray once more and get into our study. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, and here's the time frame, while he was still shut up in the court of the prison. We saw this last week in chapter 32. Saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the house of this city and the house of the kings of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their their uh, places with dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and in my fury, all whose wickedness I have hidden my face, or, or yeah, all whose wickedness I have uh, hidden my face from this city. But that, that was kind of hard for me to read. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd give me uh, eyes to see what's on the page. First of all, but Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time in your word tonight. Pray, Father, that we would glean from your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. Would you help us to do that, Lord? We pray, Lord, for those family members that lost their children this week in that horrible shooting, Lord. Um, you know, we could assume because it was a Christian school that they were Christian parents, and we hope that they all know you, Lord. But we pray that you would comfort them with the comfort that only you could comfort. We pray, Lord, that you would give them strength. And we pray, Father, for the rest of us. Lord, would you help us not to focus on the problems, but to focus on the problem solver? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord Jesus that you would speak to us tonight in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, I was thinking it's off topic here. Um, I, I hope you read your two chapters, 33 and 34 of Jeremiah, because there's absolutely no way that we're going to cover both chapters, which is fine, you know. But if you've read the chapters, then you're going to glean much more than if you had not. I was thinking as we were worshiping, I don't know why, it just kind of came into my mind and I began to think about different people that um, I had talked to on their deathbed. Not that they necessarily died right after we spoke, but they were surely on their deathbed. And the different individuals that would say to me, because they knew the handwriting was on the wall, they knew that their time had come, they would say to me something like, I just hope that I did enough. And, uh, you know, guys, I, was, I don't know why that even popped into my mind as we're worshiping the Lord uh, tonight, that little bit. But I thought, you don't have to have that question. If you're honestly, if you're seeking the Lord, if you're walking 
with the Lord, in the Lord, if you're growing in his word, you can come to the end of your life and say, it's not a matter of doing, it's a matter of believing. And I've placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and I know this to be true. And, and then you have the privilege of really dying in peace without a great big question mark. I'll tell you, you don't want to wait till your deathbed to try to figure things out. You want to be a person who is walking with the Lord daily, you know, seeking the Lord. Jeremiah, guys, you've probably picked up on the fact by now that there's repetition in Jeremiah. Um, you look at it and you could say, okay, I get the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet that lived before and during the Babylonian siege against Jerusalem and the captivity. Jeremiah, he spoke of coming disaster, true. Jeremiah, he also spoke of coming restoration, true. Um, he warns the kings, in fact, even in our text tonight, we see a king being warned, King Zedekiah. The warning was this, King Zedekiah, don't fight against it. Go with the flow and you'll die in peace. You fight against this, you think that you're going to withstand the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, you're going to die, and it's going to be a horrible death. So here's my counsel from the Lord, not from Jeremiah, go with the flow. Just do it, what is happening here, because I'm the one sending the judgment. I'm the one judging you guys, is what the Lord was saying. And so you look at it and you could say, you know, it's kind of repetition. I get it. That's, that's the theme of Jeremiah. But you know, guys, it's in the finer points. Every time the Lord repeats himself, as we're going through the book of Jeremiah, every time something is repeated, there's something that's added. There's a new side to it that we had not considered. And I'll tell you, when we really give ourselves to the study of the word of God, the Lord will, he will feed us, he will show us things, he'll show us things that we've never seen before, he'll give us a greater understanding of the scriptures. You know, um, the outline for tonight, and again, I'm not going to, I'm going to give you the outline because I'm not going to teach it all because it's absolutely impossible. But the coming destruction, the coming restoration, and glory, and that's important to the text. It's not just restoration, but it's glory, the glory of the nation. And then the Davidic covenant reaffirmed. And then the Levitical covenant reaffirmed. These are really important. And then the warning to Zedekiah. And then finally, in the last chapter, chapter 34, how to treat, how the Hebrews were to treat their brethren. Let me emphasize that. Brethren, these weren't, these weren't from another nation. These were Hebrews. Their brethren slaves, how they were supposed to deal with them. So the first five verses, I read it, not very smoothly, but I read it. And we see once again the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is shut up. He's, he's in custody, if you will. He's in trouble with the authorities because he's speaking against what the false prophets are speaking. You know, guys, there's a lot of false prophets today. There's a lot of false prophets. I was thinking of all the, you know, 
all these people that are having these, these dreams, you know, I saw the Lord. It almost sounds like Isaiah chapter 6 or something. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, you know, and, they, and they'll give their, you know, their vision or their dream or something. And I just think, boy, how many people are duped by these things? Now, I see these things on YouTube. And so on one hand, I could see how many people are being duped or at least viewing these dreams. Remember a few weeks ago, the Lord was speaking through Jeremiah and he says, don't listen to the dreams, paraphrase, that you make yourself dream. You make yourself dream these dreams. But, um, but I think of how many views these, these little, you know, clips of people having dreams or visions and the Lord's coming and here's some new fresh aspect upon it but it doesn't line up with the word of God at all many times it has nothing nothing to do with the Lord coming back many times the dreams are God is restoring God's going to do a great work in our day and it's kind of this whole mindset this kingdom now theology this dominion theology God's we're going to the church is going to usher in the the return of Christ through all of our great feats, you know. Man, if that was true, we are failing miserably, and the Lord would never come back if it was depending upon the church to make things right so that he could come back. He's coming back to make things right because things are not right. So, first five, verse, first five verses of chapter 33, we see the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. In one sense, I think we could look at it this way. Jeremiah, I know you're confused because I'm giving you the words to speak and you're speaking the words to the people and the words that I'm giving you is that judgment is coming. The word that I'm giving you is these people are foolish. They're tearing down their homes so that they could build embankments to keep the enemy out, but they're fighting against me. Their streets are going to be filled with their dead bodies. I know you hear that. I know you're speaking that. I know you're proclaiming that as the prophet, my prophet. But you're also at the same time proclaiming that there will be restoration, that there will be a return, that there will be future glory and all of these things. And I know Jeremiah, and I'm paraphrasing all of this, obviously. I'm kind of reading into it. But maybe it was, Jeremiah, I know you're confused about this. You know, guys, to think that Jeremiah or any prophet or any apostle had this, you know, this uh, hotline to God and they knew exactly what God was doing in any moment is crazy. Because when you read the scriptures, and this is why you need to be people of the word of God, you know what we realized about, we realized about Jeremiah and the prophets and the apostles and everyone but Christ? Is that all of them were men or women that God used and they only knew about this much. <laughs> they knew what God revealed to them. They did not have this great, you know, understanding of all things. They just simply were given a word or given an understanding. And they were, you know, faithful or should be faithful to just share that. And the same is true for us. You could say, well, I don't know the word very well. But, but what you do know. This is why on Sunday morning I was encouraging you, you know, John 3.16. Learn that. You learn that, you've learned the gospel. If you've learned that, you're capable to share the gospel with someone. John 3, 16, one verse. That's a simple task, isn't it? But um, so he speaks to Jeremiah, and then we get to verse 6, and he speaks about the, re the restoration. He says, behold, 
guys, behold, it's, you know, look. Uh, it's almost as if he's saying, Jeremiah, I want you to look ahead. He says, behold, I will bring it. Oh, by the way, did you notice that in the first five verses? It, it, it. What's it? Well, it, as you look at the context, it is speaking of the city. It's speaking of Jerusalem. It's speaking of the cities. It's speaking of the places where the people inhabited. So the Lord says, Behold, I will bring it health and healing, and I will heal them from, uh, heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and will rebuild those places. What places? Well, apparently the places that they were tearing down in hope of keeping the Chaldeans out. He says they will, they will rebuild. They'll build those, uh, uh, return and build those places as at first. And then the Lord says, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed, note this again, against me. You know, guys, we have to have a right perspective on sin. Sin is not, you know, I've, I've uh, oops, I've done something wrong or I've sinned against the universe. Or, no, it's a personal thing. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against God. He's the only one we could really sin against. Now, others will be affected by our poor decisions. But ultimately, we sin against God. And so he's the one, first and foremost, that we need to be concerned with, you know, that, that am I right with the Lord? Have my sins been pardoned? You know, the Lord's proclaiming a future experience for Israel. And as Christians, we have a present relationship with the Lord. And we know that because we believe in what Christ did on the cross, the work that he accomplished on the cross, that our sins are pardoned. Well, we need to consider that, you know, when we sin. We're, it's not just an act. It's not just a, you know, mild thing, but it is a sin against him. Verse 9, then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth. Now, look at this, guys. Here's something. Here's an addition. It. Jerusalem, it, the cities of Judah, it, the nation of Israel, it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth. Guys, it's so important when we're studying or just simply reading the scriptures that we slow down and we pay attention to what's happening. Now, guys, has this been fulfilled? No. This is yet future. This is prophetic, even from our perspective. Who shall hear all the good that I do to them? They shall, that is the other nations, all the nations of the earth, they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it, for the nation of Israel. Thus says the Lord, again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say, it is desolate, without man, without beast, in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, 
that are desolate, without man, without inhabitant, without beast. The voice, so he says, listen, it's coming, it's coming. There's going to be a return of the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the voice of those who say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now, I'm going to pick that up in just a moment here, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Jeremiah, listen, it's bad. Keep the time frame. Destruction. <laughs> Things are being torn down. Things are being destroyed. People are being taken into captivity. I mean, it looks bleak. Here's the fact of the matter. Some will die in Babylon. Some will die in captivity. Not necessarily because they'll be killed by the Babylonians, but because their time in Babylon will be 70 years, and some people, just based upon age, will die in captivity. I was thinking of how, you know what I learned when I read the Old Testament, when I read how God deals with Israel, is that God was showing the children of Israel that it's not about you. It's not about me right now, this moment. Everything revolves around me. It's my happiness. It's, it's my comfort. It's my, it's, it's my future. It's my blessing. It's my Because, you know, guys, when you look at the children of Israel, there are times when the Lord speaks to Israel as if Israel was one man, Jacob. Now, he uses that term, and it, it's interchangeable. Sometimes it's Israel, you know. Uh, sometimes when he's talking about the divided nations, he'll specify Israel to the north and Judah to the south. But, but when he speaks of Jacob, it's like it's, he's one man. But Jacob's been long gone, usually, when you read that in the scriptures. It's not like Jacob was present on the scene, that he was still alive, that the Lord was speaking to a man. He was speaking to a nation. But there was this understanding and this is something that really should have been really kind of drilled home for the children of Israel. That we're here because we've sinned against him. We're here because um, the land has to rest for 70 years because we weren't faithful to the Lord. We didn't trust the Lord to keep those 70 sabbatical years. And so now he, he wants it all you know, just one after another. We're here because we played the harlot to idols. We would, we'd create these things and we'd bow down and we'd worship these things as if they were our creators or as, as if they had power to, to bless our harvest or whatever it might have been. We're here because we caused our children to go through the fires. We're here because of our sin. But when the Lord speaks of restoration, I may not be here, but my kids will be here. You, you see that, that kind of that perspective. I'm looking at, I'm a, and, and I wonder how many of us would say, it doesn't matter, man. I'm going to die in captivity. It doesn't matter. Rather than having that perspective, no, Israel, Jacob, you're like one man. You're one nation. 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to move through you. I'm going to serve through you. You know, you, you, in one sense, Israel, and remember we see this principle, you're here because you weren't the ones only doing these things. Your fathers, your forefathers were doing these things, and it's all just kind of caught up, and now you're the, you're the generation that's going into captivity. Now, they were just as guilty as their fathers were because they followed their father's wickedness. But this this long this 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 long view, you know, that it's not just about me; it's about us. And I think we need to have the same perspective, you know. As Christians, you know, I, I believe that the Lord's coming. I I think He's coming very very soon. I mean, there's so many things that seem to indicate that, according to Bible prophecy. It's not my opinion. It's not well. Things are bad, so He must be coming. No, based upon Bible prophecy. You know, guys, there's a window of Bible prophecy. There's a window where after a while, you've moved beyond the opportunity for certain things to happen. And, and we're watching, you know, everything as it's lining up and, and, and all. We're watching that everything seems, gosh, it seems to be lining up just as the Bible declares. The Bible de declares that there will be a universal currency, Revelation chapter 13, and a global governance, and we're, we're just moving right toward that. So, you know, we need to be a people who say, well, you know, the Lord's coming, but, but what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't come in my lifetime? Say, this is where, if we're not careful, we begin to drop the ball. We should live as if Jesus could come back tonight, right now, in this moment, but we should also live our life as if there was a future for us, or a future for our children, or a future for our grandchildren. Guys, when you look at the stats of, you know, people who actually read the Bible and believe the Bible, and, and people who profess to be Christians, but really they don't even agree with what the Bible teaches concerning, you know, Christ and his redemption and hell and all these other things, you just think, man, things are not getting better. Things are getting progressively worse. And we've watched things really kind of nosedive in a fairly short period of time. And so we need to be people who say, man, I need to, I need to speak into the, my children's life. I need to speak in, if you have grandchildren, I need to speak into my grandchildren's life. I need to be a godly example for them because one day I'll be gone. And if the Lord tarries, and I say that from our perspective, the Lord is never tarrying. He's always, when he comes, he's going to be right on time. But I'm just using that term because it fits, you know, for my mind. But that we're, we're telling our our children and our grandchildren, you need to know the word of God. Honey, I know you're caught up in all of this stuff, and I know you think that's cool, and I know that part of this is your immaturity, but I'll tell you, if you give yourself to the study, to the reading, and, and to the you know knowing of the word of God, the Lord will mature you beyond your age, and you'll be equipped for whatever may come your way. You guys, you've seen it. Israel, they say Israel is finished. Have you heard it the past week? Israel is finished. It is no more. The nation has been destroyed. Civil war within it. In the streets, 
Well, they have the same problems that we have, the whole transgender and homosexual uh, agenda. By the way, guys, listen, you cannot help but recognize that it is demonic because it seems to be the same thing that's bringing down nation after nation after nation after nation. It doesn't matter where you're at on, on the planet Earth, you know, it is, it is bringing nations down because people are buying into this. But, you know, Israel is over. And, uh, now you say, well, how, how is Israel over? You know that Israel has a reserve army, reserve military. So everyone's in the, every, uh, I, I think it's been a while since I've been there, but I, I believe it's every woman serves two years up front, every man serves three years, and then they're in the reserves until they're like 65 years of age. It's a little country, you know, and, and they're really dependent upon everyone pulling their weight. Everyone, you know, we're, we're, in a, we're in a jam. We have, we're surrounded by nations that hate us, that want to destroy us, you know. And if you've been paying attention to it, you know that many of the Israelis are saying, Part of our protest is we're not going to go to we're not going to go to war. We're not going to go to our, serve our our time our duty if 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 we get called up, and and this is why people say man you know, if there's a nation that really can't do this it's Israel because you know I look at the whole thing and I think first of all Israel's not done because Israel has to remain Israel will be here in the last days because everything will be focused on Israel so I don't lose sleep about you know Israel being done why because I know what the bible teaches about Israel see and those who know uh, you know the bible and and what the scriptures have to say about Israel they have confidence that, that God is going to work through this i look at this whole thing and i think man you talk about setting things up things are set up perfectly for the ezekiel battle where you have russia coming down and iran coming over and turkey and these other nations coming in because it's a battle that israel doesn't win because of their great you know abilities and you know you guys know Israel is known for uh, its uh, military I mean they're you know state-of-the-art you know very powerful nation militarily speaking but the Ezekiel uh, battle tells us that <laughs> it's not because of anything they've done it's because the Lord intervenes and I think boy if there was ever a time for that to happen it is today it is now so, what's my point? My point is, guys, they are promised here restoration. And as we saw, that they would be a praise and an honor before all the nations of the earth. That hasn't happened. Right now, there's a scourge of most of the nations of the earth. Most of the nations of the earth, if they're not jealous of them, they hate them for one reason or another. And we know that anti-Semitism is growing, so many nations hate them simply because they hate the Jews, and that's where the Jews happen to live. And so this has not been fulfilled, but this will be fulfilled. How do we know? Because God's word is true. This is his covenant. This is his promise. 
Guys, here's what we can glean from this. You say, yeah, it's history, boring, boring. No, the same God that's in covenant with Israel is in covenant with you and me if you've placed your faith in Christ. And so our assurance, our confidence, the fact that we're in his hand, no one can snatch us out of his hand, if we're truly in him, that should give us great peace. Great peace. See, this is where this whole dominion theology or this replacement theology, I'll tell you what, man, it does not, it destroys the sovereignty of God. It destroys the security that we're to have in the Lord because it, in essence, it says this, listen, Israel is no more. It's forgotten because they were unfaithful. And then you start thinking, gosh, I'm unfaithful. I'm a Christian. I'm unfaithful. Is there any hope for me? And the fact of the matter is it's the Lord that, that enters into this covenant, this agreement, this promise. And the promise we have with him, which are many, but one of them is he who began a good work in you will complete it, right? So on that, we don't just sit back and say, okay, do your work, Lord. You, you know what I mean? We say, we roll up our sleeves and we say, Lord, I'm here. Speak to me, Lord. Well, anyway, it goes on, and uh, where did I leave? Uh, oh, right down here, at, toward the end of verse 11. It says, and of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 speaks of a sacrifice of praise, into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return at the first, or as at the first says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In this place, place which is desolate, without man, without beast, in all its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds causing their flock to lie down. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowlands, in the cities of the south. It's so beautiful. It's like, man, this place is going to flourish again. It's going to blossom again. By the way, this has not been fulfilled. You say, oh, yes, it has. The children of Israel, they're coming back in, in, you know, by scores of people. Yeah, but this, this is yet future. We're seeing the beginnings of this. But this is, this is just, uh, we're just seeing the foreshadow of that. The land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, the flock shall again pass under the hand of him who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming. You know, um, do you note the, the terminology, the examples that are being used here? Again, it's kind of a cultural thing because we think shepherds, sheep, Big deal. For Israel, shepherds, sheep, we're thriving. We have life. The bridegroom, the voice of the bridegroom and the, and the bride, that's something, you know, we do it. It's just kind of a passing thing. It's no big thing, you know. I, you know, have you ever stopped uh, when... Um, Maybe a, a car, you know, a line of cars are driving by, you know, and cans are hanging from the bumper and, you know, just married on the back. And you just stop and watch because you're in such awe of this wonderful event. No, you just kind of do your, go your way, you know. It's, it's not that big of a thing. But for Israel, oh, man, 
wedding, the bridegroom, the bride. Look how beautiful this is. The joy, the singing, the dancing, the celebration. I mean, it's describing things that were near and dear to the children of Israel. And the Lord is saying, here, I'm restoring that. I'm bringing those things back. And then he says, verse 14, he says, Behold, the days are coming. Do you know that that, that phrase is used 16 times in the book of Jeremiah? 16 times, behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Seven of the times that that phrase is used, it's used, if you will, in a negative way. It's used in this way. Behold, the days are coming. Destruction is here. But the other nine occurrences that this phrase is used, it's speaking of future glory, future restoration. Guys, these things, obviously, they're not going to be fulfilled until the millennial kingdom of Christ. And, and he's talking about these things. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised, important, to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah in those days. And at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He, so the branch is not an it, it's a he, you guys know this. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth, not just in Israel. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. Now, there's a few things here. First of all, we have the, the branch Turn back, if you would, to Jeremiah, same book, Jeremiah chapter 23. Let's see here. Let me find my verse here. Yeah, verse 5. Oh, I didn't go back far enough. So 23.5. Look at verse 4. It says, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be uh, uh, lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, again, it's future. The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness. I mean, it's just, in essence, repeating what, what we see there. Keep your hand here. We're going to come back to that. But if you would, go to Isaiah. If you don't have time to get there, that's, I'll just read it. Isaiah chapter 11 Isaiah chapter 11, there's similar, you know, there's similar speech. So we have this picture here of a, a branch. Verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod or a shoot from the stem or the trunk of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of its root. 
And then it goes on and says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. By the way, side note, which I think is confusing to a lot of people, when you read in the book of Revelation a number of times, the seven spirits of God, and you say, oh, there's seven spirits? I thought there was only one spirit. It's referring to the seven spirits, the description of the Holy Spirit that we see here in verse 211 to the seven spirits. You have seven um, qualities if you, get, if you want. And then Isaiah 53, in verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And then it goes on, he is despised. But we have this picture of a of a, a branch. And that branch, of course, is Jesus. You know, guys, when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, we have two genealogies of Jesus, one in Luke's gospel, one in Matthew's gospel. We have a legal genealogy that goes from Joseph down to Jesus. And then we have the physical genealogy that goes from Mary uh, to Jesus. The purpose of the genealogies are to show that Jesus is heir to the throne. See, the writers are saying, listen, the prophet spoke about, guys, it's 66 books, but it's, it's, you know, it's a unit. It, it all goes together. And this is why we need to know the Old Testament so we could appreciate the, uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament so we could appreciate the New Testament. But um, this idea of an offspring, one sitting upon the throne of David, an heir of David. And Jesus, of course, is a fulfillment of that. Even when you look at in 2 Samuel, and it talks about the Lord says, you know, that uh, you're not going to build a house for me. Chronicles says the same thing, because you're a man of blood, you know. Uh, he says, but your son. And many times we read that just kind of in the now, we say, well, his son was Solomon, obviously. Uh, fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled, Solomon built the temple. But guys, that was like a near and far application to the, to the, the house was not the temple that Solomon built. Solomon is the one who did that after his father had gotten all the building supplies ready. I mean, that thing was ready to go by the time Solomon started building the thing or having it built. But the one who builds the dynasty, the, the house of David, the house of the Lord, is the Lord himself. It's Jesus. He's the son that's being referred to. But it's interesting, as, as you look at this, again, it's repeating itself, 23, the branch of righteousness. Look at verse 6. You're still there in verse 23. In his days... Judah will be saved. Well, you say, this is word for word. No, it's not word for word. And Israel will, be, will dwell safely. Now this is, note this, now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So it's clear there, right? The branch, what's his name? The branch, his name is 
the Lord our righteousness. But chapter 33, go back there. Look what it says in verse 16. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely, word for word there. And this is the name by which she, who? Israel, will be called the Lord our righteousness. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because when the Lord comes and restores all things, Israel will find their rightful place. Their identity will be in Christ, their righteousness. I hope that for everyone in this room, we could say that the Lord is our righteousness. We're trusting in him. And then it goes on, verse 17, uh, for thus says the Lord to David, David shall not lack a man to sit on the throne in the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me. And, you know, you look at that, and again, at face value, you might think, that, oh, we found it. Some people are always looking for some fault with the way. We found it. We found God did not keep his promise. There is no king. There has not been a king since, listen, since the Babylonian captivity, there has not been a king from David's line that sat upon the throne of Israel. Remember when Jesus came upon the scene, who was on the throne? An Edomite. He wasn't a descendant of David. He wasn't even an Israelite, a Hebrew. He was an Edomite. Guys, let's not read into what's being said. What the Lord said, he didn't say, listen, there will be a succession from David until the branch comes of kings upon the throne. What it says is that David will never lack a man to sit upon his throne. The same with the priesthood. You could say, well, the priesthood, it... it it was shut down. I mean, the Levitical priesthood, Babylonian captivity, it was not restored again until Ezra, the book of Ezra. Then it was restored again. So there was a time period. There wasn't the succession of priests going before the altar of God. There was this time when they couldn't go before the altar of God because the altar was destroyed, and they were in Babylon. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying the priests will never lack a man. This is important. I know that some of you think, oh, you're reading into it. No, I'm not reading into it. Israel is preparing to rebuild the temple. Netanyahu, you're, all this trouble that's going on in Israel is because of Netanyahu. And Net, Netanyahu has been a strong leader for Israel. And uh, they need a Netanyahu. They don't want a Netanyahu. They want uh, a woke, uh, you know, whatever. They're there, you know. But, um, but, He's the one that's kind of creating all this problem. Netanyahu just uh, two weeks ago was talking about the rebuilding of the temple on the Temple Mount. What other leaders are talking about the rebuilding of the temple, the temple of God on the Temple Mount? The Jews are waiting to do that. They're going to do that. And, and here's the thing. People say, well, you know, we have the Temple Institute, and they put together all these things, and we have the menorah, and we have the, uh, you know, altar of showbread, and our table of showbread, and we have the altar of incense. We have all of these different things, you know. Things are ready to go, but how do we know who the priests were? 
How do we know who the Levitical priests were? How do we know? I mean, we don't have any records of that. It's almost like uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, it won't be the same. The, the ark is missing. It's gone. It's lost. You know. A group in Ethiopia claimed to have it. It's interesting. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we see it, but it's in heaven. In the book of Revelation. The point I guess I'm trying to make is God know, knows the branch, he will sit upon the throne. God knows his priesthood. He knows the lineage. He's, he's not going to create something new. Uh, it, it, he knows the ones that are going to sit and, and, and offer sacrifices and all. They're, they're kept in his mind. He knows that. God knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. He's not worried about that. You know, th these things are going to come together. Guys, we serve a God who promises things and he keeps his promise. And it's so beautiful. This is the Lord that we serve. This is the Lord. And this is why we should, we should adore him. I mean, honestly. And especially us, because we're, we're the ones who have benefited from his death and his resurrection. I can't imagine, you know, just kind of turning a deaf ear or, or just a apathetic heart or an indifferent mind to the Lord, you know, and sometimes I, I ask myself, you know, or ask the Lord, asking yourself things, you might not like the answer you get, but asking the Lord, you know, Lord, I, if I wasn't a pastor, would I have this love for your word? Is it because I'm a pastor and I, I've been in your word and I've been in one sense forced? I don't see it as a, as a duty. To me, it's a, a wonderful blessing and privilege. To me, I feel so blessed that I can open the Word of God and I could just start reading a portion of Scripture and believe, it's not wishful thinking, but really, really believe, know that the Lord is going to show me something. There's going to be something that I'm going to read that's going to speak for, to me in that moment at that time. There's going to be something I'm going to read that's going to cause me to do what I do where I just kind of pause and I say, Oh, Lord. That's so good. That's so rich, Lord. Or, oh, Lord, I know this is true because it's in your word, but, Lord, right now I don't feel like it's true. Lord, would you please help me to, you know. I'm telling you guys, we have, if we, this is, you know, uh, this is the revelation of God that he's given to humanity. You know, you could look at creation and say, yes, there is a God. He's a mighty God. Look at the wonderful things he's created, you know. Mm -hmm. 
I don't even know that what we look at is is really. Well, I, I, I well, I don't think what we look at, what we get to see with our eyes, is the glory of His creation. You know, it's believed, and there's different theories on it. It's believed that there was, you know, one land mass. And then after the flood, we have, of course, these different land masses separated by seas. Um, you have the, uh, you know, the garden. That the earth was not the garden. The garden was on the earth, God's creation. But I don't know, was the garden even more spectacular than the rest of the earth? Or was it all spectacular? Um, what was the climate like? Well, apparently, it was mild enough, not too hot, not too cold, to where the two people that were in the garden could walk around naked and not be too cold or too hot. And, you know, you just think of this environment, this earth that the Lord's created, and we look at, I look at, you know, what we can see with our eyes. One of my favorite views here on the island is when I'm going home, and, um, and I'm on West Beach, and I'm driving out, and there's different places where you could kind of look out, and you could see the Olympic mountain range and of course the water and it's just oh man it, because it changes all the time you know it changes based upon clouds or or um, even the shadows even the light the time of day it is and you see all of the at night you look when it's clear and you go look at all those lights over there I wonder I wonder what I'm looking at right there you know I wonder what part of you know and it's so beautiful, but it doesn't even come close to what it was and to what it will be in the future. Speaking of branches, Romans chapter 11 and verse 11. I say then, have they... And the they there is the Jews, the Hebrew people. Have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. I love that. Paul says, I make, how do you do that, Paul? I tell people about Jesus, and I hope that more and more and more and more and more and more and more Gentiles get saved. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh. He says, I love my people so much. I want to provoke them to jealousy. Guys, have you, ever, have, you, have you ever seen your life as maybe being something that could provoke someone to jealousy? 
The sad thing is I think many Christians, we don't live our lives that way. We don't believe that we could provoke someone to jealousy. But I'll tell you, if we were really living for the Lord, I think people would envy the fact that, you know, oh, by the way, you know that guy, that comedian, uh, Sears? Did you see that? Yeah. And um, he came out with a little video this past week, I think, and uh, how he's changed his mind on God. Now, you know, he just used God. That was the word he used. And he admitted that he had a hard time even using the word God for like, he's a new ager, you know, and uh, was a new ager. But, but he's talking about, and I think what's happened is politics and all is kind of getting him. He says, I'm becoming more Christian. Now, you don't become more Christian. You become a Christian by placing your faith in the finished work of Christ. So he's got a, he's got a ways to go. But I'll tell you, there are more and more people that are kind of being you know, pushed in that direction because they're looking at the world and they're saying, this is complete madness. I don't want to have anything to do with this. But I'll tell you, guys, if there were not Christians in his life um, or around him in some way, he'd probably be looking for something else, some, some sort of other, you know, answer to that void in his life. But as Christians living for Christ, if we really... You know, not faking it. Because you know what? Nobody, nobody is going to be led to Christ because I'm always victorious. I'm the head and not the tail. You know, all this, this stuff that pertains to Israel and, and Christians proclaim it like little puppets. No one says, oh gosh, I want to be a Christian. I want to be victorious too. Another video I sent to my daughter's was, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. And he was just sharing about, he says, uh, you know, it's been no secret that I've gone through some hard times. You know, there were many that thought he was losing his mind, Jim Carrey. I thought he lost it a long time ago because he's so <laughs> crazy, you know. But, but he was talking about the sufferings and he identified the sufferings with the sufferings of Christ. I don't know. You know, you could be cynical. There's so many Christians that are cynical. Oh, here's a, you know. Hey, let's rejoice that they're talking about Christ. Let's rejoice that maybe they're, they're thinking about these things. And he's just talking about his own suffering that has caused him to consider Christ. Well, anyway, we should provoke people to jealousy. I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be? Guys, this is the second time he said, there's something to look forward to. If you don't remember anything from tonight, please remember this because this is important. But life from the dead. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, see, here we have these these pictures again of branches and roots and shoots and stumps and so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. These replacement, the, you know, these people don't want to replace the church for, it's like, have, you, have they ever read Romans chapter 11? Yeah. 
chapter 9, 10, and 11, their rejection of the Messiah, their present state, and then their future restoration when they receive their Messiah. These things, this, is, this chapter is yet future. And you will say to them, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief. They were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail. Severity, but uh, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in the goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were, and then it goes on. Here's the thing. Paul's point. In unbelief, they were broken off for a time, for a season. But God's not done. They're not. They're Christians that have weird views about the Jews. Get over it. Repent. You're wrong. The Jews are not saved because they're Jews. But the Jews will be saved when they look upon the one they have pierced and they mourn for him as one mourns for their only son. I love the way Paul puts it. He says, listen, it didn't begin with you. You're not supporting it. We've been grafted in. We, we've been grafted in. Listen, this is our, this is our Jewish Bible. Written, for the most part, by Jewish people. First and foremost, to, written to Jewish people. The early church was Jewish until, until what happened at Cornelius' house. And then all of a sudden we saw this shift, you know, take place. But I'll tell you what, guys, how glorious it's going to be when Israel is saved. We're told, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Many of our brothers, Christian brothers and sisters who live in Israel, they're saying, if you've never prayed before, please pray now for the peace of Jerusalem because we are on the brink of civil war. The problem with Israel right now, present tense, is the same problem that we have in America. They don't have an enemy. They don't have a foe that is threatening them. They are imploding from the inside. And that's how we are. We have plenty of foes, but nothing's imminent right now. We're imploding. Amir, he said, you wonder, why doesn't Iran, because, you know, they've threatened to drive Israel into the sea, why aren't they attacking? I mean, now is the opportunity for them to attack. And he says, I think the reason they're not attacking is because they're enjoying watching us devour one another and, and, and die from the inside, you know. So, Lord, would you help us to be a people who love you, help us to be a people who, regardless of where we're reading in the scriptures, we say, oh, I don't want to do that, Lord, or I have done that, Lord. And we want to be people that are quick to repent. We want to be people that are quick to acknowledge the error of our ways, that we've sinned against you and you only. We want to be a people of hope. We want to be a people who look ahead and say, oh man, it's going to be glorious when we're with the Lord in that chamber that 
that Jesus has prepared at his father's house for us for seven years, seven years of woe, those seven years of Jacob's trouble. But, O oh Lord, how glorious it will be when you return to the earth at your second coming, and then they see the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for you. And, Lord, that Zechariah says, the king, the priest, <laughs> the Oh, I forget the other one. And then even the scoffer. Even the scoffer will look and they will turn to you, Lord Jesus. So we love you. We thank you. And we just pray that you'd give us a greater love for you and for Israel. Amen. Amen.